Radio. Let's talk pets. Hello, you're listening to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio with me, Deb Wolf. And we had some sad news. The Queen of England has passed away, and maybe that's not really a pet show topic, except for the fact that the Queen of England has been a longtime fan and supporter of animals and animal rights and animal welfare, and she herself was a fan of the corgi, as we all know. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the royal family and the dogs and pets of the royal family, because you probably don't know them all. And kind of interesting to think about what they have because, you know, I mean, they're very wealthy people. They could have any dog or cat they want. They have trainers and handlers and people to take care of them. So money's no consideration. Size is no problem. It's not like they're looking to rent apartments or anything, looking for pet friendly. So they could have anything in the world. So what do they have? Well, I'm going to give you a little bit of a teaser. Don't look it up. See if you can think about it. I'm just going to ask you, if you could think of all the royals in England, there's quite a lot of people, what percentage of them or how many of them, either way, do you think own cats? That's a question. Just think about it. I can tell you I was surprised to find that of all the royals, the percent of them that owns dogs is actually 100. Every single royal has a dog. Every family, every royal family, they have an attachment. It's not just one pet once. It's, you know, a line of Cocker Spaniels that they've always had or labs or in the Queen's case, she had this corgi. And in 1947, Susan, the corgi, actually, that wasn't her first, but her first was Dookie. But anyway, Susan, the corgi, came along on their honeymoon, on the royal honeymoon. And later, she bred Susan to create a new breed she was dabbling with called a Dorgi, which is a Dachshund Corgi cross. Now, the last of Susan's offspring, a Dorgi called Candy, is still alive today and uh, is the only dog that is owned by the queen uh, at the time of her death was the only dog. So, well, actually, I also have a report that Willow, the last descendant of Susan, died in 2018. So we have a little bit of controversy here, but I think that's because Willow was a purebred corgi and Candy is a dorgi. <laughs> so we'll have, we'll have to look into that further. But her husband was not particularly a fan of corgis. He liked Labrador retrievers. And that's a really different personality. It's kind of hard to imagine a corgi person loving a lab person. They're both friendly. Both corgis and labs like people and are generally friendly to the public and friendly to other dogs, but that's where the similarity really stops. Corgis are herding dogs for very small animals. They're low to the ground so they can't be kicked by the goats or the sheep. And um, well, labs, labs go into cold water and retrieve things, bring back ducks and things, buoys and for fishermen and stuff like that. So they're really, really different natured dog. And I think that kind of illustrates the difference in their personalities. If you know anything about the royals, they're very different people. So that's kind of interesting. I also found out about some of the more modern royals. So, well, first we'll go through some of the older ones. Princess Margaret, she had King Charles Cavalier Spaniels. 
Well, of course she did. King Charles Cavalier Spaniels, the dog of all royals, bred specifically for that purpose, to crawl up the large armholes of the gowns and robes that the royals wore, crawl up them and, <laughs> and comfort them and sit on their laps at all times. King Charles Cavalier Spaniels are probably the most friendly dogs in the world. They are the quintessential lap dog. All they want to do is love and cuddle. And I once helped a lady who was a counselor with hers, and we were able to get this little dog, Lucy, to the point where it was a therapy dog. And people would come to therapy. And of course, Lucy, this tiny little dog with giant eyes and the most loving disposition would immediately go over to the person who was a little bit off their game and needing some counseling and, and make the appointment even better. So I see the point of that. But, you know, well, here's the sad thing. Okay, so King Charles and Camilla, they're into Jack Russell's. And I want to talk about this a little bit because even though, well, I just called him King Charles. Oh my goodness, that was a quick switch. Even though the former Prince of Wales, now King Charles, is into Jack Russell's and has vast experience with dogs and other animals. He played polo, his experience with horses, all kinds of animals. And he and Camilla both have decades of experience raising and training animals and have the best professionals at their service. Even with all that, they did lose a dog, a dog called Pooh. A Jack Russell they lost in the Balmoral Forest in 1994. So why am I talking about that? Well, there's a couple other situations with Oprah. And there were some situations with Ellen. And people were so critical. How can these celebrities treat their pets this way or let harm come to their pets? And I kind of want to talk about this because no matter how hard you try, no matter what you do, no matter how careful you are, no matter how much you spend, no matter how many professionals are involved, there's still the chance something bad can happen. It's not your fault if you've done everything possible. So later on, Princess Beatrice and Eugenie, who raised Norfolk Terriers, lost one of theirs, Ginger, who died eating a poisonous plant in Hyde Park. Now, how could they possibly scour the park and, and find every poisonous plant? They can't. It's not their fault. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put that dog back together again, I'm afraid. But just like with us, when you make a mistake, I've had customers that have accidentally run over their dog or accidentally given their dog something they shouldn't. There's sometimes mistakes are made, accidents happen. Sometimes it's out of your control. Don't beat yourself up. Your dog wouldn't beat you up. Accidents happen. Okay, we're going to go to break and we're going to talk more about some of these wild choices, unusual choices of the royal family. Stay tuned to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio with me, Deb Wolf. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, 
you're back on Animal Party on Pet Life Radio with me, Jeff Wolf. So, okay, I'm going to talk a little bit more about these accidents that happened because this is the last one with the royal family. But Princess Anne has bull terriers. She also has horses and other animals, and she's quite an animal person. But her bull terriers are notorious for being very badly behaved. In fact, in 2002, Dottie, one of her bull terriers, attacked two kids in Hyde Park. And sadly, Florence, one of hers, attacked one of the queen's corgis, Pharos, and killed it. So again, even with all the work and all the money in the world, you can't prevent things sometimes. So I just wanted to say for all those out there beating yourselves up about something that happened, don't. Stop beating yourself up. If you're a good dog owner, a good cat owner for years and years and something went wrong, that doesn't mean you shouldn't go out and get another pet. It really doesn't. There's a dog or cat out there waiting that needs your love. And right now with the pandemic, that is particularly true. People adopted dogs and cats in droves and then decided when they went back to work, they couldn't handle them anymore. So there's so many dogs and cats available. Good dogs, good cats, good animals, so deserving of your love. So if you made a mistake, just correct the circumstances, fix that fence, right? Just do what you need to do so it won't happen again and give yourself a break. Go get yourself a little furry love, love animal for your life. Okay, so it's going to talk a little bit more about the royals. Not much. I'm just going to cover the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, who were called, you know, Prince Harry. They have beagles and black labs. And Princess Beatrice and Eugenia, I already told you, they have Norfolk Terriers. And there is one royal, only one of all the royals, 100% of them own dogs. All of them, every single royal family, all of them, all, every single one has dogs. Some also have horses. Somebody has a tortoise. There's a few odd things in there, but there's only one royal who owns cats. Now, she also owns horses and she also owns dogs, but she owns Siamese cats and not just one. So Princess Michael of Kent has a cat, many cats. She's a Siamese cat person and she breeds them too, or she used to. So she is the queen's first cousin, just to give you an idea of who that is. All right. So it's a doggy world in the royal family. And for the most part, they've had so, so many dogs and done so well by them and treated them so well and been such good role models for pet ownership the world over. So I didn't want to highlight the few problems, but do want to highlight just how how good it's been for the dogs who got to live at the royal palace, the dogs who got to go hunting with the king or yeah, and the prince, and what a life that must be. So I want to talk about some dog problems today, some simple dog problems. And I also want to talk about pumpkin. Okay, we'll do pumpkin first. Pumpkin. Pumpkin is a good thing. Pumpkin is a very good thing for dogs. And I know this time of year all over North America, pumpkins are in the supermarkets and they're really cheap. So you can go that way, actually cook pumpkin, or you can, in the winter when it's not available, you can get canned pumpkin which is just as good. So what you want to do is just give a little bit, maybe a teaspoon if your dog is really tiny or a couple of teaspoons if you got a medium-sized dog or maybe one to four teaspoons for a big dog. And you just add it to their food. You cook the pumpkin any way you want. People say raw is fine and they will eat raw, but they love it when it's just a bit cooked, sort of like yams. They'll eat raw yams, but they love it when you cook them. So yeah, cook it up, mash it up, mix it with the food, Your dog will eat it and it will help all kinds of things. So constipation and diarrhea, both, which seems unlikely, right? How could it help both? But it does. It's a major source of fiber 
and there it has all kinds of enzymes and healthy properties to help the dog regulate its bowels. So if you have a dog that's chronically a bit loose or a little bit constipated, start very slow and just give a little bit of it at a time. If your dog has no problems and you just like the idea of feeding him pumpkin with his food, go for it. It's good for him. Now, there are many, many old books that talk about grinding up the seeds of pumpkins and giving them to animals as a parasite control. And that's a possibility too. Okay, so we're going to talk about pumpkin. Go for it. When you're making that jack-o'-lantern and you don't want to eat the pumpkin itself, your dog does want to eat the pumpkin itself. Now, I'm not talking about pumpkin pie. That's not something your dog wants to eat because xylitol, which is like a artificial sweetener, is very dangerous for pets. And sugar is also not great for pets. So no pies, no cakes, nothing like that. Just the actual pumpkin. Okay. And I find it interesting lately that I've been getting a lot of calls about driving dogs that won't drive in the car. So we're going to go to break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about that. What do you do if your dog panics getting into the car or your dog used to like going for rides like Daisy the Labradoodle, who just sent me this email a few days ago, but doesn't anymore? What do you do to recondition your dog to love the car or to condition your dog in the first place to love the car? So we're going to go to break and we'll be back and I'll tell you how to make your dog love car rides. Coming up on Animal Party with Pet Life Radio and me, Deb Wolf. For those fortunate to have experienced the deep bond and unconditional love of a companion animal, the death that follows can be one of the most difficult and misunderstood losses to go through. Many times, this devastating loss goes unrecognized and trivialized by family and friends, leaving grieving pet parents struggling to find healthy ways to cope with the loss. In And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal for healing the loss of a pet, Dr. Julianne Corbin calls attention to the difficulties unique to the loss of a beloved pet and provides an interactive and compassionate guide to help you process your loss and work towards coming to a place of peace and healing. For those interested in journal therapy and looking for a professionally written and compassionate resource to help understand and reconcile the grief associated with the loss of your pet, this book is for you. And I Love You Still, a thoughtful guide and remembrance journal by Julianne Corbin is now available for purchase on Amazon and other major book retailers. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Hello, you're listening to Animal Party on Pet Life Radio with Deb Wolf. I know I talked about pumpkins. I could mention apples and bananas and blueberries, cantaloupe. Those are all good things for dogs, too, just in moderation because some of them are sweet. But um, if you turn over your favorite package of dog food and you look at the ingredients and you see things like blueberries, cantaloupe, yogurt, apples, bananas, then you know that those things are okay for your dog. And there's no reason not to put a little dollop of yogurt on top of his kibble or give him a few blueberries once in a while. Now, there are some things that we eat that are really dangerous for dogs, and some of them are surprising like cherries and grapes and avocado. So you don't want to just like wing it. You want to actually read the ingredients before you go for it. Make sure a vet approved product. See, you're kind of cheating. You don't have to ask your vet. You don't have to go online. If it's a good quality dog food, 
the vets have already done the research and everything in the ingredients is not toxic to dogs. So there you go. And what I would do with the pumpkin that I was talking about before is like three parts rice, one part protein. When your dog has like really bad diarrhea or is really uncomfortable and needs some help that way, maybe he's eating lots of grass and vomiting, it doesn't seem right. Instead of his usual meal, do some kind of lean chicken, lean, lean cooked protein with three parts rice, one part protein and a couple teaspoons pumpkin and try that for a few meals and everything should should get regular very quickly. Okay, so I want to talk about the car. Most dogs like the car. Some dogs have car sickness and you can figure that out real easy. If your dog has car sickness, figure out the right dose of gravel and give it to him and see if it makes a huge difference. So if every time your dog is in the car, he's salivating and he's drooling and he's panting and he's upset and you give him the gravel and all that stops and he goes to sleep, you have a dog that has actual motion sickness. And the only way to really control that, just like with humans, if you've got motion sickness, you take a pill for it when you're going to have a long drive. You leave the window open and you do short drives whenever possible. That's the answer to that. But most of the dogs who are exhibiting this problem do not have motion sickness. They have a fear, a fear of where they're going, a fear of getting lost, a fear of leaving home, a fear of being left in the car too long. All these are possibilities. Okay, so now we have Daisy. Daisy the Labradoodle. She's four or five years old. It's a very long email, so I'm trying to remember all of it, summarize it for you. She used to like the car, but then she was in a car incident where another dog was injured very, very badly. And she was witness to all that. So for a while, she didn't like the car, was very reluctant to get in, had to be lifted in and out. And the owner worked diligently to make some positive memories and had her riding with another dog called Jules, an Australian shepherd who loves the car. And so what ended up happening was every time Daisy would see Jules in the car, she would jump in the car and be happy. And I kind of suggested to them, it was probably a year ago, to do this, to get a happy dog who loves the car and go for short rides with the happy dog who loves the car. Always going somewhere happy, like the park they love, visit a friend they love, little short trips around the neighborhood, in, out, quick car ride, lots of reward at the park, back in, out, quick car ride, lots of reward at the friend's house, over and over and over till both dogs love getting in the car. And that worked. So now if she sees the other dog in the car, she knows it's going to be a short, happy car ride and she's happy to get in and out. No problem. But if that other dog isn't in the car, she's not going. She's not going. Okay. So why did that happen? Well, along with the new conditioning to teach her that if you're going in the car with this other dog, it's always going to be happy. Unfortunately, she didn't do happy car rides, just Daisy. So Daisy thinks if she's alone in a car, it's going to be something bad. What could be bad? Well, maybe it's the first incident where that dog got really injured, really bad trauma, maybe. Or maybe it's the fact that a good friend of the family often babysits the dog and he's a real estate agent. And so he wants to take the dog on big, long walks and stuff, but maybe he has a showing or he has a meeting. So he leaves the dog in the car. Now, at first, the dog didn't mind that. It had a comfy bed, decadent car, all very good, loves the guy, loves it. But it got to be too much. Too many showings, too much time in the car. So now this dog won't get in the car if she's alone. If there's no other dog in the car, she's not getting in. You have to <laughs> physically load her in. So the answer to this really is lots and lots of short, happy trips. None of the real estate waiting in the car for meetings. No more of that. Cut that out completely. 
the long trips this lady has to take, which are very, very long. She travels from Winnipeg to Vancouver with the dog in the car. Those have to include bigger stops for longer. So instead of one or two stops along the way, we're going to do 10 stops. We're going to go out and play fetch and get back in and go out and go for a run and get back in and go out and do yoga on the beach and get back in, go out and have a meal. It's going to take her way longer to get from Winnipeg to Vancouver and back the first time or two. But the dog will unlearn this fear of these huge long car rides and get the idea that, oh, we're going on adventures, little short adventures. I can do that. Dog loves camping, used to love the car. So this shouldn't be too hard to do. Now, if you're listening out there and you have a similar situation, what you want to do is lots of short, happy car rides. You can eat in your car. You can hang out in your car. You can feed your dog in your car when it's not even on, when it's not even moving. You can, if you've got kids that the dogs love, you can do fun things like play board games in the car, put sleeping bags in there, have them hang out in the car. What you're trying to do is make that car a happy place, not just a place of long confinement or car sickness, or trips to the vet. See, that's another thing. I had a puppy come that was terribly afraid of the car because, and it's so hard to imagine that this could be the case, but his fifth day of life, he was taken to the vet for his tail docking, and he never seemed to forget it. He'd never been in a car other than that, but was terrified of the car. So fifth day of life, how could he possibly remember from that young? His eyes weren't even open. Ears weren't, somehow or other, it stuck. And undoing it was really easy with that dog, like really easy, loads and loads of little short trips. And and he was fine. And even going to the vet now that the vet doesn't always mean something painful is no problem for that dog. So you want to defuse the idea that the car is a nasty place or a place of confinement or punishment or sickness and make it just a happy party place. Loads of short car rides, lots of fun. If you do know dogs who love the car, stage it so they're there for some of it, though, not all of it. So, yeah, like with Daisy, she might go for a ride with Jules and then Jules gets out and Daisy stays and continue and go to a park. So and then pick up Jules again, like mix it up. So it's not just, okay. when I have another dog, I get short, happy car rides. It's I love the car. It's never bad. I'm never left there for hours. It's never a super long cross-country car ride without brakes. That never happens anymore. Car is always good, whether I'm alone or whether I'm with friends. So that's how to undo that car experience. And I'm going to talk about one more very general problem that someone emailed me. So I think I'll do that right now. It's a Rottweiler named Dexter. And I have met this Rottweiler. I've never trained the Rottweiler. He's never stayed here, but I have met him. And I can tell you, he is enormous. Okay. Like he is one of those big guys. You know, when you see, like you see a bunch of bikers and then there's like, they're all big, but then there's one that's way bigger than all the others. Okay. That's Dexter. He's the big biker Rottweiler. That's what he is. And and he's not fat, but he has no neck. You know, you know, the type, right? Like, like sort of looks like a bear cub if you if you just do a quick glance. Anyway, big, big dog, very macho, was neutered a bit late in life, I believe. It's not really clear from this at what age. But Dexter, they think of him as an old man, which is interesting because he's only eight. And they think of him as perhaps set in his ways because of his age. And I want to tell you, OK, if you have an eight year old dog out there, even a 10 year old dog, even a 12 year old dog, even a 13 year old dog. 
If you take that dog and you give it to your mother or your friend who spoils dogs, who feeds them at the table, who lets them beg for food, who lets them jump on the furniture, they will learn that in one day. All those things, they will learn three new tricks, jumping on the furniture, begging for food and stealing food. They will learn that in one day. So please don't try to tell me that an old dog can't learn to behave in one day. They can, they just don't want to. They're hooked to their bad habits, just like we are. And it does take months to break a bad habit, but it doesn't take long for a dog to learn a new trick or learn a new habit. It's hard to make the substitution. He won't go to it as a default, but to learn it, to know what you want, to learn the new trick is easy. So when we're talking about Dexter, he has a bad habit where when he's walking on a leash with his owner, nice lady, and especially if she has her five-year-old with her, he's terribly bad when the daughter is along. But what he'll do is he'll act all nonchalant and relaxed and chill, do, 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 walking along beside her. And as another person approaches with a dog or even not, Dexter will act super chill until they're right almost within biting range. And then he will lunge ferociously, terrifyingly, never bites them, never attacks them, scares the crap out of the other person. And then this lady has to apologize. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. She warns them ahead. I'm sorry, but he's not, you know, and they think he looks so chill. They walk up anyway. And then he does this thing and she's so embarrassed. So what do you do to fix that? Well, the first thing I would do is check his collar and his leash and make sure it's a good one. Any collar and leash can work on any dog to train a dog. I can use anything, but it's easier with a big, strong dog like that if you use something that gives you more control, that isn't his whole body weight and muscle and lower center of gravity pulling against your one arm, especially if your other arm's holding onto a little kid or a stroller or another dog or something like this. So you want to use maybe a halty collar, maybe a collar that has a small piece of chain in it. So it's a regular strap collar, just like a normal belt, just fabric, but it has a little bit of chain. And so there's two settings. It can be loose and comfortable when Dexter is relaxed, but when you pull it tight, it will go tight and not to choke him, but just tight. So there's a training setting and a relaxed setting. So at least when he lunges, he gets the message that, hey, wait, we don't want this. The collar isn't still loose and he isn't still doing what he wants. And you don't want to have, especially with a dog who lunges, there's always going to be the first time that he might bite. So you definitely don't want a collar he can get off himself. You want it to fit well. And in times of trouble, you want to be able to pull it tight. So I really like these collars that have just a little bit of chain in them and then the fabric. When the dog's behaving, he deserves a nice loose collar. But when he's challenging you or about to cause a problem, you want control. So that's why I like those collars. And they used to be called martingales, but there's all, all different kinds of them. And you'll see them in the pet stores hanging on the racks. There's cheaper versions usually. But I really love those collars. I think they're just terrific because you don't have to switch and change. And your dog gets the privilege of a loose, comfortable collar when he's behaving. And you get the advantage of total control when he's not. So best of both worlds on that. So get the collar, get the leash fitting, and then practice your heel. So Dexter should know heel. I have it demonstrated on Deb Wolf Pet Expert YouTube. Please go there and check it out. All kinds of heel drills. Different dogs work differently with heel, but basically you want him to know you're the leader and heel is a challenge. It's a game. He's supposed to match your steps. He's not supposed to go ahead. He's not supposed to go behind. He's not supposed to cross over. He's supposed to stay right in line with you on your left side. That's what he's supposed to do. And I kind of dance with them a little bit. I say heel and then I stop. I say heel and then I speed up. I say heel and then I slow down. 
I say he'll not go somewhere they don't want me to go or don't or maybe they do want me to go. They just didn't know I was going there. I say he'll go around a parked car. I say he'll turn down an alley they've never been down. I say he'll and I make it something they want to do. Their challenge. They're like, wait a minute, what's she doing? She's not just saying slow down and the dogs arguing speed up and the person saying slow down and the dogs arguing speed up as they walk along the block all the way. Tug, 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 sore shoulder, sore wrist. No. Soon as he tugs me, I say heel and I do something else. So now whatever he thought, he thought we were going north, wrong, we're going south. He thought we were going west, nope, we're going east. He thought we we're going left, nope, we're going right. And he stops trying to lead. He starts trying to follow. And he actually enjoys it because it's challenging and it's fun. And I'm telling him how good he is every time he does it right. So you do that whole lot. You do that at the start of every single walk until he's like right on the money, looking at your leg, eager to try, eager to do it. Now you're ready to go by someone. And I would go by them on the other side of the street the first time. And as I see the dog approaching, I would be telling him, heel, Dex, good boy, heel, good boy. Give him lots of commands, keep it flowing, communication. So he doesn't think, what should I do? I'll do my old habit. Nope. She's telling me what to do. I'll do what she says because this is my new habit. This is my game. I'm playing with mom. I'm healing with mom. I'm doing heel game. And after you can cross by a dog on the other side of the street, then start doing it a little closer and a little closer. Pick a park. So you're not both on the same path and you're not both in the same territory, maybe 10 feet away and you're sort of walking by each other. Practice, 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 practice. And one of the things Dexter was taught to do before was to sit as these people would pass. And that's a bit of a problem. If you make a dog sit or stay still when there's a bit of an issue about territory, they claim territory and they act more aggressively. So when you keep moving, there's no territory to claim. That spot that they were fighting over is gone. It's 10 feet away now. There's nothing to fight over. And it's also very face-saving for the big macho dog. Instead of sitting there, accepting some intruder into his space, he's actually just, just walking with you. There is no intruder. There is no space. And he's just with you. He's protecting you. He's protecting your daughter. He's walking with you. You're still moving. So there's nothing to fight over. And he doesn't have to sort of sit there and accept this insult. Instead, he looks at the other dog. Maybe the other dog wants to fight him. Maybe the other dog wants to challenge him. He's like, no, sorry, I can't do that right now. I'm busy. Sorry, got to go. And, and the whole thing just diffuses. So I'm hoping Dexter will get back to us in a few weeks and let us know how that's going. And all of you out there who have a dog who maybe lunges or it's just gets mixed messages at the park. Because once again, Dexter doesn't attack dogs. He just acts like he's going to. So <laughs> if you've got a dog giving out mixed messages or being confusing, it's not good for him. He doesn't want that either. So teach him how to behave. Teach him how to heal. Go to Dub Wolf Pet Expert on YouTube and check it out. And you'll be walking more peacefully in no time. So thank you for listening, everybody. From me, Deb Wolf, Animal Party and Pet Life Radio. Be good to your animals. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.